Hi, everyone. Welcome to You've Got Potential, a podcast about research from the perspectives of undergraduates. So far, we've mostly been interviewing Rutgers students majoring in the life sciences, but that changes with today's guest, Anirudh Patel, a physics major and philosophy minor. Anirudh, would you like to introduce yourself and your project? Sure. So I've worked in several areas of physics uh, so far. Um, primarily, my research over the past year, the junior year, has been um, in geophysics, uh, where I study gravity anomalies and their implications in the Central America region, um, specifically in Costa Rica. Um, more recently, uh, this summer, I've been working on a particle physics project, um, high energy particle physics to be specific. And um, in the future, I'll kind of be working on an astrophysics uh, and planetary science uh, interdisciplinary project. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of physics. Hmm. So why was it that you ended up switching from a geophysics project to a particle physics project? Sure. So the geophysics, um, so kind of just, it was kind of just a, an opportunity that came up that was offered by Resty. But, um, initially when I came into college, my first two years, I was really interested in uh, more so the environmental sustainability and environmental engineering and environmental physics. Um, so the geophysics was kind of like a natural, um, you know, segue into that because it's more, you know, based on earth sciences uh, here. Um, and I didn't really have the intention of, or I didn't really know that I want to go into uh, grad school for physics um, at that point when I was a freshman and sophomore here at Rutgers. Um, but more recently, I guess, especially over this past year, um, I've become more and more interested in going to graduate school for a physics or astrophysics PhD. Um, and high energy uh, particle physics is a pretty, um, I guess, prominent uh, research area in, in physics right now. Um, I'm sure, you know, a lot of you guys have heard of the Higgs boson and that, that's kind of, that, that falls under uh, high energy particle physics. And that's just really like a hot topic right now. So um, that was kind of the natural next step for me. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on what your current project is about? Sure. So I started my current project, uh, which is the high energy particle physics project um, this May. So I can't speak too technically about it. Um, just, you know, the learning curve is somewhat steep, but uh, just from a broader perspective, um, it's, it's basically a project. So the experiment itself consists of uh, colliding two very high energy um, protons moving close to the speed of light um, together, right? And this is done at the Large Hadron Collider, which is a particle accelerator uh, located in um, the CERN facility at Geneva, Switzerland. Um, and we collide these two protons moving very, very close to the speed of light. Um, and it essentially produces a sort of reaction. Um, and we know from Einstein that the famous equation E equals mc squared where a lot of the energy um, from the speed of those protons is converted to mass, which forms other particles. So when these two protons are collided, um, they collide at around a, uh, well, they collide within a detector, which we call the compact muon solenoid or the CMS detector. And that's the namesake of the experiment. It's called the CMS experiment. But the CMS detector essentially, uh, you know, records and observes all the data that comes out of the collision. So all these different particles and, and uh, you know, things that are created from this collision, uh, all that data is just uh, recorded by the CMS detector. So our job as part of the CMS collaboration um, is to kind of go through this data. And it's a lot of data, right? So 
we basically have to parse through this data and try to narrow down the search parameters uh, for various um, variables um, that, that occurred during this collision. And we just kind of basically go through these variables. Um, it's a lot of data analysis work and try to just you know, narrow down the search radius and then try to find evidence for uh, theoretical particles um, you know, that have been predicted by, by theorists. So what kind of theoretical particles are you looking for specifically and what significance might they have? Sure. So um, again, I'm just going to speak a little, a little broadly about this, but the project that I'm working on specifically, we're looking for a theoretical particle called the Z prime gauge boson. Uh, but more generally, um, you know, particle physics, uh, you know, discovering these fundamental particles has huge implications for um, helping us understand the origins of the universe. Um, you know, that's number one, because, you know, when the Big Bang happened uh, at that point, you know, larger objects and larger, larger matter wasn't really around. It was all particles. Um, and there's a lot of matter and antimatter and, and particles and antiparticles and things like that. And just, you know, discovering these new fundamental particles can kind of help us uh, kind of bring us one step closer to understanding that part of, um, you know, our, our origin story. Uh, but more so, um, I guess, prominent to industry and, you know, the current world, uh, you know, particle physics has a lot of implications for modern technology. A lot of the modern technology we use um, depends on these, you know, on these particle physics interactions. So that, yeah, I think that's kind of um, a pretty, a pretty big, uh, sign uh, significant portion of, of what we're trying to do here as well. Can you please give some examples of these, um, like, daily lives applications of particle physics? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess when you go to a doctor and you get a CAT scan, right? That's, you know, at the, at the fundamental level, it's, you know, requires understanding of particle physics. Um, radio, well, radio waves, more radio waves and things like that. But I guess everything fundamentally just comes down to particle physics and just understanding that better can help us um, just improve our, our technology in general. Yeah. Thank you. So the for the biologists and chemists, uh, think the NMR machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, they, the NMR machine, I think, works on the same fundamental principles as the MRI that that Annie uh, mentioned. I wanted to uh, to ask a little bit, pick your mind, uh, how'd you started? I remember you talking about it a long time ago, how you got that uh, opportunity with the Resty, uh, what that process was sort of like, uh, and how was your time there? Sure. Yeah. So Resty, I mean, Resty is a great program. I, I think it's really um, for Rutgers students, especially well, for Rutgers students only, I guess. But uh, um, I think it. Um, my first Resty project was actually different than the geophysics one. I got involved in that my sophomore year. Um, it was kind of like an environmental engineering uh, project. I won't get too much into that, I guess. But um, the geophysics project. So during my sophomore year, um, I just kind of noticed that um, you know there was an ad or. or uh, I guess something like that about that project they sent out an email and I was like oh cool like this is a cool project I'm going to get to travel to Costa Rica um, because it's based out of Costa Rica so I was like you know this is a really cool opportunity um, it's also kind of aligns with my goals so um, I just applied and I went to the interview and actually one of the people who were interviewing me was one of my um, undergraduate uh, program director for physics at the time so I had known him um, you know just through advising meetings and things like that um, so that, I guess I was a little less nervous at that point because there were like four or five people interviewing me. Um, but yeah, I gave the interview and uh, next thing you know, you know, a few weeks later, I got, a, I, you know, I got the position. And, um, you know, that January of my sophomore year, we just started 
uh, you know, having seminar meetings just to like prep us for the project, which would take place, um, you know, start really start over that summer. Uh, and over the summer, we were planning on going to uh, Costa Rica for the project, but, you know, unfortunately due to COVID, um, you know, never really made it down, down to South America. Yeah, it's pretty sad. I'm, I still get, you know, kind of sad when I think about it, but um, yeah, so the, the point to, of going to Costa Rica was to, you know, work with our international mentors from the University of Costa Rica. Um, so I, I worked um, with Dr. Oscar Luke, Luque um, in gravity anomaly work. So we would have been going to all these huge mountains and, um, you know, bring these huge tools called gravimeters with us, which would measure the gravitational acceleration at some of these remote regions in Costa Rica. And um, that kind of leads to the next step of the pro project, which we, um, which would be the part that we would be doing over the year, um, you know, my junior year, which was this past year. Uh, and that consists of basically processing, analyzing that data and making models. Um, so I guess, to, again, just to give a quick overview of what the Costa Rica project entails, um, we basically, like I said, go to Costa, you know, we're supposed to go to Costa Rica collect this data, this gravity, uh, gravitational acceleration data, and we try to use this data to model the um, subsurface features of that region. Uh, so a specific region in Costa Rica we're concerned with is the Cordillera de Talamanca mountain, ra uh, mountain range. Um, and we're interested in that region because, um, you know, that specific region of Costa Rica lies uh, above a subduction zone, which is where one uh, tectonic plate is subducting beneath the other tectonic plate. Specifically, the Cocos tectonic plate is subducting beneath the Caribbean plate, which is where the Costa Rica landmass lies. And due to that subduction zone, you know, those that's why these you know mountains were created. And we kind of expect there to be a lot of volcanic and seismic activity in the region, but we don't really see that when we you know in our observations. So to try to kind of explain these anomalous features. Um, you know, we're trying to, we, we think it has something to do with the underlying structure of the crust and mantle of that region. Uh, so essentially, we know, we, we can predict, you know, based on standard density models of the earth and, and standard composition models, we can predict that, you know, this region should have a gravitational acceleration of, you know, some amount at the surface level. But when we actually measure the gravitational acceleration with these grav grav gravimeters, at the surface level, we find that um, you know, the, the observed gravity values don't match up with the predicted values. So then we think, okay, you know, there has to be some anomalous feature uh, beneath the surface that we didn't really expect. Um, and so what we do is we use this gravity data to kind of create models um, and play around with the density of these subsurface features to try to find a model that would create um, the gravity values that we're looking for and therefore reconcile um, the anomalies. Uh, going back to a point that you mentioned a while back, you were a philosophy minor, correct? Yeah. So I'm uh, actually I'm actually double majoring in philosophy. Oh, yeah. so what led you to pick philosophy as a second major? Sure. So um, I was always interested in philosophy when I was in high school. Um, and I was, I was kind of always interested in those big questions. And I guess like, as a high schooler, I was like, oh, you know, if I major in philosophy, I'll figure out the meaning of life. And, um, you know, I quickly realized, like, that's, you know, I'm not going to figure out the meaning of life by majoring in philosophy. Because um, oftentimes, you know, one question just leads to another. And, 
and it's, it's kind of like a recursive cycle. But um, I would say uh, Rutgers does have a really good philosophy department. So I think, um, you know, in the, and as far as technical skills I've learned, you know, just reading and writing and, and you know, critical thinking, I've, 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 that's really helped me with that. Um, and some of the big questions, you know, I don't think they've been answered, but I, I think I can, you know, I'm starting to learn more um, from, you know, previous philosophers and kind of just form my own opinions and viewpoints on, on stances and, and, you know, philosophical issues. What other, like, skills or mindsets do you think you can carry over into your future work, like, um, in the, in your potential PhD that you want to pursue? I think, yeah, so it, I think a big part of research is, another big part of research is persistence. Um, you know, I'm sure you've all experienced this as well, because you guys are also undergraduate researchers, but um, you know, oftentimes things can kind of get, you know, pretty tough. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe you're at some point where you know, you're just not really making any progress. You're having a tough time, you know, moving on to the next step. Um, or you're just kind of stuck on this one paper and you just can't understand, you know, what's going on. Um, or, you know, something new comes out and you just, you know, don't really see how it matches with what you know about the, the field or, or your own research. Um, and I think, at that point, you know, I think persistence and just kind of sticking through it and just grinding through the process of, you know, spending those hours, you know, performing your work or analyzing your data or reading these papers. I think that's where that persistence um, and that kind of hard work and dedication mindset kind of comes in. And I'm sure, you know, as I go on in my research career, and as you know, all of you guys, all of us go on as well, I think that's, that's like kind of pretty valuable and, and fundamental um, outlook to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it kind of illustrates an interesting challenge to research, and that is, you know, you have to be very determined, but you also have to be careful about underdetermination. So you spend all this time fine-tuning a model, but at the end of the day, this is just one guess out of many, and it's important to be open-minded enough to put your pride aside and say, Hmm, guess I was wrong here about this. Guess it maybe worked for this set of data, but not the most. How do you think it is that in your case, you strike a balance between the two? Um, yeah, so let me just think about this first. That was a good question. <laughs> um, Yeah, I think it's it's tough because you want to have confidence in your own work and your own, you know, your own work and your own models. But at the same time, you know, like I mentioned, you want to keep an open mind towards other work as well. Um, but I would say, you know, when there's a discrepancy between some results that you may have and some results that somebody else may have, I think, you know, the immediate reaction would be to go back and immediately just check if I made a mistake, right? Um, I think that's you know, generally the first thing I do um, in, in, in situations like this, because, you know, it's, it's one thing to have confidence in your own results and your own work. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we are all human and we do make mistakes. So, you know, you might go back and you might find something, oh, okay, like I didn't make a mistake, right? Or you can look at the other, you know, the opposing models, not opposing models, but the alternate models approach. And, you know, you might see that, okay, they did something different, right? Maybe they used a different set of constraints. Maybe they used, um, you know, slightly different process data to achieve their results, um, and maybe what they did, you know, maybe that method was more robust than my method, right? Um, so that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, what I did was 
not correct or was, you know, kind of worried. It doesn't mean it's that's worthless, but it means that, you know, there was a better method out there and maybe I should implement that method in my work and maybe see if I can come up with a, a result that's, you know, that verifies what they have, or maybe I may even come up with a better, better result. You know, you never know. I wanted to know, Annie, uh, I assume it's your high energy particle physics work. Um, what sort of got you moving in the astrophysics direction versus geophysics or anything else? Georgia, were you gonna ask that? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like 20 minutes ago, but I'm glad you asked it too. <laughs> yeah, so um, so actually I don't, the, the particle physics wasn't what got me interested in astrophysics. I know it sounds that way because you know, I did geophysics and the particle and now I'm kind of interested in astro. But um, last fall, I took a class, uh, it was a planetary sciences class offered by the Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences, which previously used to be the Department of Geology at Rutgers. Um, but my advisor for the geophysics work, uh, Professor Vadim Levin, was co-teaching that class with a new professor, Professor Catherine Birmingham, um, who is actually going to be my advisor for my astrophysics work now. But that class, uh, it was called the Structure and formation of terrestrial planets, right? So uh, Dr. Levin, who's the geophysics physics guy, he you know, comes in at the structure part of the story. And Dr. Birmingham, she's a cosmochemist. So she comes in at the you know, formation part of, of the planets. Um, and you know, we kind of reviewed uh, you know, basically how our solar system formed and how our planets you know, in the solar system formed. You know, we talked a lot about Earth, of course, but also, you know, Mars, um, the moon, Jupiter, and all these different planets. And that's kind of what, you know, really piqued my interest in astrophysics. And, um, you know, because there's a lot of, it's a very interdisciplinary field, right? As you can tell by your PhD, cosmochemistry, it's, you know, it's a very niche, um, but also a very interdisciplinary field. And, you know, she works with astrophysicists, um, you know, geologists, uh, planetary scientists. It's, it's very, uh, there's a lot of things that go into there. Um, that's kind of what started me. Um, kind of on the trajectory towards astrophysics and kind of I'm now email her. yeah yeah I'm gonna have to email her. Cool. I think we talked about this and I, I still don't know what it is but uh, it sounds like it sounds crazy it sounds crazy cool to work with physicists yeah it's it's well it's basically geochemistry except in space but yeah <laughs> Yeah, when you said cosmochemist, I think like my eyes got wide. I saw George's eyes got wide. Then Kat was just like, "What the?" Heck? Yeah, I, I had never heard of that before. Um, before I, I met her, but yeah. Do you have like your own like potential niche area that you want to work in in astrophysics? Or are you just keeping an open mind for now? I have a pretty open mind um, for now. So, you know, when after I took that class, I was really interested in planetary formation and planetary dynamics, um, because those inevitably, you know, dynamics especially, just kind of just uses, um, you know, physics. It's very physics heavy. Um, but then I kind of became, you know, my, my, my interests are still, you know, progressing and, and uh, evolving, but then I really became interested in like stellar astrophysics, right? Like stellar uh, formation and stellar evolution. Um, and the project I'm working on, I'm going to be working on next year for my senior thesis with Dr. Birmingham, um, kind of has to do with the production of different elements in stars and you know how those elements that were produced in stars prior to the formation of, of our solar system, how they contributed um, to the origin evolution of, of our planetary systems. And then now with particle physics, I'm, you know, I'm kind of also becoming a little bit more interested in the cross-section between ast ast uh, astrophysics and particle physics, which is astro-particle physics or 
high energy astrophysics. But yeah. <laughs> how do you how are you gonna study that for like your thesis? Is it like like taking an experimental or I don't know theoretical data and yeah. So <laughs> no, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so um, we so right now I'm just doing a lot of background reading just to prepare for the project next year. But um, the project itself, I think it's a combination of uh, using data and um, you know using using theoretical uh, modeling and computation methods. Uh, so the data we use comes from you know these meteorites, and we sample the meteorites and we're able to find you know isotope and chemical data uh, from these meteorites, which um, kind of you know will tell will tell us okay like these are the elements that are out there in space. Um, you know we kind of. Uh, then you can use like radio chronology methods to be like, okay, these isotopes were in these meteorites and they're older than the than our solar system. So, you know, these kind of preserve a kind of, um, you know, historical, I guess, uh, what's the word, record of the processes and things that happened before our solar system was formed. Uh, so that's where the data comes in. And then the other aspect of it is the theory and, and computation, right? So, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see, you know, certain elements and isotopes in uh, materials that we uh, observe or, or, you know, analyze, and we'll be like, okay, where do these materials come from? And that's where we kind of, you know, run computational models of um, supernova and, you know, stars and things like that, because, you know, a lot of the elements that are, you know, in our solar system came from these uh, high energy and high entropy or low entropy, on the other hand, environments in stars and, and supernovae. I would like to ask you something that we talked about very early on, which is you didn't know at the beginning of your university career that you were going to go to grad school or think about going to grad school. But was the pivotal moment of your uh, years as an undergraduate student that made you realize that's the place where I would like to see myself. And if so, do you know at this point in time, future directions after grad school that you would like to take? I would say the pivotal moment will definitely happen over the past year. Um, Cause you know, I feel like when you're a freshman, sophomore, you're just kind of concerned with, okay, what classes am I gonna take next semester? Um, well, at least I was not that I'm not, I'm sure not everybody, you know, is, you know, some people probably think more ahead than I do, but you know, that's how, that's my outlook <laughs> as a freshman, sophomore. It's like, you know, what classes am I going to take next year? Oh, like I had to do well in my classes. I'm going to find research, whatever. Um, but then, you know, along came junior year and about halfway through my fall semester, you know, I was talking to a lot of my friends um, who are in finance and other fields in software and, you know, tech, and they all have internships lined up. And I was like, oh man, like, you know, I started getting a little nervous. I started, I started panicking a bit and I had this kind of existential crisis. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, I didn't really think much about what I wanted to do after I graduate, but, you know, do I want to go into industry or do I want to go into grad school? And at that moment, you know, I was just kind of, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, I guess that's, I guess it's another way the philosophy major has helped, you know, when I have a problem like that or a dilemma, um, I get really like flustered and I, I start to panic, but then I kind of just think on it for, you know, a week or maybe two weeks and eventually the answer will just kind of like become clear to me. Um, you know, in the beginning, it seemed so hopeless, right? I was like, oh, there's no way I can like, you know, make a decision like this. But, you know, two weeks later, I'd be like, okay, you know, this is definitely what I have to do. And this is what I should do. Um, so it was kind of that type of situation where, you know, as I just went on um, in my crisis, um, you know, I kind of realized, you know, I've done physics for, you know, 
you know, almost three years now. Um, you know, I, I, you know, initially it was tough, you know, it was a love hate relationship freshman year, you know, I'm just working and doing, doing homework all the time. But now I think I've really grown to like the topic and I really love it. So I can't really see myself doing anything different than, you know, pursuing it further in, in graduate school. Um, and as far as my aspirations after graduate school, um, again, I'm not really one of those people that think that far ahead, but I would say, um, you know, I'm definitely interested in being a professor um, at some point and, and a research scientist. So um, that's kind of in, in my scope of, in my scope, in the scope of my, my future, I guess, hopefully. I'm intrigued as a person that is doing a major in science. How is it to be a physics major at Rutgers? Is it like a big major? Are there many resources? One thing that I'm particularly interested in is that so far we've talked about three potentially relatively different fields in physics, but to my knowledge, there is like physics major. There isn't like a particle physics major. I could yeah. be wrong, but like, you know, with, yeah, within yeah. life sciences, there's like just biology, genetics, molecular biology. Then you go back to like, I don't know, somewhere in Cook Douglas where there's some other cool way of putting life science. So how, how's the physics? Like sure. world. So the physics department at Rutgers is excellent. Um, you know, I'll, I've been I've been very happy with my education at Rutgers, and like all the professors that I had are, are great. Um, and I, I've learned so much. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy with that. Um, we do Rutgers does have a you know really good physics physics program. Um, as far as the majors go, so there's four different physics majors. They offer a minor and they offer four different majors. There was a general physics major, which kind of like, you know, you are, you take gen physics and maybe a few other advanced um, physics courses, but it's, it's more just like surface level. And that's like, you know, if you want to go into education or if you want to like, you know, go in, if you want to be pre-med or you want, you just want like a little bit of physics background, that's kind of what you would do. Um, then there's applied physics, which is kind of like, it's very similar to engineering, right? You can take, you know, kind of like the core physics classes, and then you could concentrate in some area of like, you know, it could be chemistry, engineering, uh, biology or something else. Um, and then there is professional physics, which is what I, which is the major that I am. And that's really to prepare kids for uh, graduate school. So that's like, you know, you take the really advanced physics courses. Um, for me, I, I started off with the honors introductory sequence, like honors physics one, honors physics two, honors physics three, which was essentially physics boot camp, um, extremely, extremely difficult classes. Um, but yeah, so the, the professional physics is where you're, you know, required to take, you know, more labs, uh, more of the upper level physics courses and things like that. And then we also have a separate astrophysics uh, major. So that's similar to professional physics. It prepares you for uh, graduate school in astrophysics. Um, and obviously that's, you know, the classes you take there are geared more towards the astronomy and, and astrophysics side of things. Thank you so much for your answer. Um, I would like to really, really thank you for, first of all, uh, spending time with us today. And second of all, for being such like an open and curious mind that makes yeah. re research uh, thrive so much. Um, I think the world benefits from having people so curious and yeah. thrilled to learn. Um, yeah, again, really, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you guys. I mean, it's just, I think, you know, um, this is a, just like a great program that you guys are running and thank you guys for just reaching out to me and kind of giving me an opportunity and platform to talk about my work. And um, yeah.
I would like to wish you all the best for your future in your last year at Rutgers and remind you and all the listeners that you've got potential. Mm -hmm.